Hey, welcome to Gig Stories with Music People. I'm your host, Evan Michael, at the Spacement Recording Studio in Los Angeles, California. This is episode number nine, and my guest today is my good friend, Andres Yepes, originally from Quito, Ecuador. Andres is an incredible guitarist here in LA who's performed all over the world with a ton of bands, including The Hard Way, Martin Tillman Superhuman, Anima Inside, La Banda, Varda, Radio Viejo, Exaband, and The Velvet Tea Party, to name a few. He's releasing an album soon, uh, which is his first release under his own name. So check back for that. I played bass on a couple songs, which was super fun and quite challenging. Uh, really excited for that release. Follow Andres on Instagram at EC. I'm at Evan on the bass and the underscore spacement for the studio. Follow the pod if you haven't already for teaser clips every week at Gig Stories with Music People. If you're enjoying these episodes, the best thing you can do right now really to support the show is just share with your friends. Uh, also, I think there's like three ratings right now on Apple Podcasts. So, you know, help out if you can. If there's someone you think would be a good guest, let me know. Send me a message on IG. All right, it's story time. Let's get to it. Enjoy. All right, man. Welcome to the pod. <laughs> Good to uh, see you. My real pleasure. Like, uh, to be honest, it's a real treat because I've been listening to a couple of the other episodes. I really went through the whole two hours of <laughs> a couple of episodes already, and I thought it was great. Wow. Uh, Thank you. Thanks yeah, for listening. <laughs> I think it's a great idea. It's it's just this thing like, who will tell better stories about gigging than people that gig all the time you know it's like you always get like these rock star stories and all that stuff but like the the people that are like gigging around the city or or a smaller like um More round of, of gigs is like normally the ones that have the best um stories, stories. yeah man yeah. dive bars and random you know <laughs> venues like yeah. and that's yeah Totally. I, I appreciate that. That's exactly like what I'm interested in hearing about. <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah I, and dude, I mean, so we, we were just talking, we've known each other 10 years. <laughs> yeah, a little crazy. bit over 10 years. A little bit over 10 years. Um, and, you know, you're you're definitely a, a seasoned musician. At, <laughs> you are, you kind of already were when you came to LA 10 years ago, yeah. right? Yeah. So like yeah, you... like my story is a little bit like uh, interesting because I came like more into the well, I guess that's your story too, but like more, more like into an older guy coming to college because I was already like yeah. twenty nine when I came here, right? So um, like that gave me the opportunity to actually play a lot and do a lot of stuff and 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 go my way around the musician life before taking a big step of coming here and the only reason why i ended up coming here was because i was granted a scholarship like it was never like my big goal like i'm going to go to la i'm going to be the, this big rock star and i'm going to you know it's <laughs> like everybody thinks of those things and and dreams about that but like for me it was just life that ended up bringing me here but i'm grateful that i was able to to really 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 like experience as much as i could uh, back home and have like this 
crazy amount of experience over there. And also that actually was the, the thing that gave me the, the, the financial support to come here because what I did is like um, I started saving money from all those gigs that I was doing back home. And then I was like, okay, I have enough money and I just earned a scholarship. So what the fuck? Let's go. Like yeah. life is telling me like you, you have to go. And, and here we are 10 years later with great, some, awesome experiences some not like that great but like that's how <laughs> life goes <laughs> that's life yeah for sure that's awesome yeah I, I, there's been some some of those similar stories i think and maybe that's uh one of the the common thread uh to some of these some of these podcasts is like people just kind of following what seems that the, what the signs that life's giving them to you know become a musician and to maybe end up in LA and go to music school or whatever they ended up doing. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. Like I, 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 ha I still remember this thing. Like I got the opportunity to come in 2009 to visit a friend who was a LACM student too. It, by, back then it was called Lama. Right. And I just, I still remember that really clearly, like thinking when I was living back in Ecuador, thinking like, oh my God, I'm going to go to Los Angeles College of Music. Back then it was Los Angeles Music Academy and I'm going to be, and I thought that I was going to arrive and it's going to, it was going to be this big, huge, like college with dorms and like big <laughs> studios, like everybody in the studios with like fancy, uh, you know, four by 12 amps and like everybody having like these amazing guitars. Like I, I, that was like the way that I was picturing it. Not quite. And when I came here, <laughs> I went there, and you remember how it was ten years ago. Right now, it's a completely different thing. But right, I arrived, and they were just like some of the rooms were like uh, in. They were like just fixing stuff, and and they were just building the the studio, the first studio that they had. So everything was a mess, and yep. the couch area was all like this. And I was like, uh, and I remember asking my friend like. So how much is that? This is costing you. It's like, <laughs> are you? Um, yeah, I don't think this is for me. And then I, that was in 2009. I said like, no, no, this is definitely not for me. I thought it was a completely different thing. Yeah. You think of LA and, and, but LA has done that to me a bunch of times. Like the first time that I came here, another that was in 2008, uh, first time ever visiting LA. And I think that happens to a lot of people. When I was like arriving here, I was thinking like, oh my God, I'm going to go to LA and it's going to be this glamorous, really like neat, perfect, uh, you know, beautiful city by the beach. And I'm going to be able to see the Hollywood sign from everywhere because it's going to be this huge thing that you can see from everywhere, you know? And when, yeah, I, totally. when I arrived, it was like, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's cool. There are cool parts. There is glamour in some parts, but like, uh, for example, Hollywood, uh, it's not what I was, I always pictured. And I think most of the world actually pictures. Right. Like, uh, well, Hollywood, happy. sorry to cut you out. Hollywood's that one of those weird places because it's simultaneously a tourist trap and it's got that that glamour. But I, I, like most people, like famous people don't live in Hollywood. Uh, and it's, it's, mo you know, it's a pretty rough, rough area. Um, oh, it's a lot of, you know, college students and like yeah. starving artists and, yeah. uh, people and right now, and right now it's like 
crazy amount homeless, of homeless people yeah. too. It's like, I went after a year, like last week, and I was like, oh my god, like I cannot believe, like you literally had like the the two sides of the coin right there, one block apart. You know, like the right. tents on the sidewalk on Sunset Boulevard, and you will walk a couple of blocks up, and you will see mansions and and houses that are paid like. Fifteen, twenty thousand dollars a month for yeah, rent. So totally. it's like, oh my god, yeah. It's like, but but that was that was the thing. Like going back to the to the llama thing and the the lazy uh, stories. Like I really thought, like this is not for me. This is not what I was expecting. This is not what I thought I should. You know, it, it's this thing. Like you create this idealized version in your head, right? And then when you're in the actual place, it's like. Eh. <laughs> That's how it was for me. So I went back home in 2009 and life just kept going for a, an extra two years, well, a year and a half. And so many things happened that ended up bringing me here. Like uh, w the main one being that scholarship that I was telling you, like uh, if I would have not been granted a scholarship, I would not have been ended here. But right. And I was able to afford coming here with the scholarship because of the amount of gigs that I was doing before because I was saving all that like yeah. it's like, like okay I've been playing at this wedding okay saving account saving account, saving account. so when I came here I had support on yeah. my own of course my family also helped me a little bit but most of the of the of the money that I spent to study here was from my savings and and I always took that as a, a like a medal for my own you know it's like I, I wasn't sure. like completely spoiled like oh yeah just go study in the u.s and like we don't care about you know like i i care on my own me i i came on my own means and and luckily i managed to stay as as things start to develop and it was worth staying and here i am 10 years later <laughs> yeah man that's awesome you know it's so funny about like the image of llama uh of you first visiting because uh, i i i did the same thing where like i visited uh, about a year before I actually ended up attending in, in 2011. So I visited in 2010, so not not far after you did. And the same thing, like, you know, just picture, uh, There's they had, like, just these broke-ass couches that, <laughs> like, with, like, springs shooting out. Like, yeah. like, stuff you would find on the street and go, nah, I'm not gonna, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and just, like, broke-ass chairs, like, I remember I was so happy like early on <laughs> when we were there that they, they got new chairs because the chairs were, it was just like sitting on just straight metal, like there was supposed to be padding, but it was just straight metal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and yeah. when you're, you got two hour, two hour classes, you know, it's like, man, and I already had back issues. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, but, but, but uh, on the other side, like, I think we well, both learned really quick that the walls were not the greatest thing about that place. Well, like, that was so that's what I was getting to as well. Yeah, totally. It was all about the people there and the faculty. And yeah. but the the interesting thing is I saw all that stuff and I saw MI I I visited MI the day before the first day I was in town and then Lama the second day. And MI at the time it was kind of that glamorous like it is in downtown Hollywood off the Walk of Fame and uh, just amazing facility. And uh, but it just did not vibe as much with me. It was like it's just too big, too like everybody looked like they were dressed to be in a music video. 
Right. Like, um, <laughs> yeah. I just like, I, was just like I don't know. I, it was a really great facility and everything, but I was like, yeah, I don't know. And then I saw Llama and again, all this like broke ass stuff and whatever, but it was, <laughs> it just had this charm to it. And I was just it, like, man, this is amazing. Like Pasadena is so beautiful. Yeah. And it was just this small, like it was one building and uh, just like, really a, a ton of like amazing teachers obviously and everything but like just he- feeling the vibe being there i was just like this is where i want to be yeah so it's interesting what? that you visited and we're just like nah. yeah maybe we were like weeks apart from from when maybe. we visited like who knows maybe, yeah. but it's funny because we uh, we both met the exact same person that ended up being your roommate you know? right <laughs> yeah my good buddy scott kyle <laughs> Uh, was the the same person that gave us like the little tour yeah and, and it's so funny to 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 go back to think about those things is because like when you are a little bit younger and and, and you just coming here to la you sometimes let your expectations drive your your decisions and yeah. your way of thinking but if you stop a little bit to really see the other side of the coin like in this case of the school you actually see um, the benefit of having a smaller school, amazing teachers, um, not a lot of, uh, like mostly international and out-of-town students, all in this small place. It's the yeah. perfect environment to study uh, music. And on the top of that, I don't know how it is right now, but like their program was amazing. Like the idea that you yeah. will just be like, okay, we're going to have a performance class right now. One hour performance class and the teacher will come and will talk to you like, okay, this is how you're going to play this. This is what you have to do. Be careful with this. Be like one hour. And then the second hour, you will have like, you know, this amazing group of musicians from the LA area to come in and play with you and give you feedback right away on then like, hey, you, have, you can fix this. You can do this better. You can do this. That's like the best program in the world. I don't know about the other colleges that are super famous and the other ones that are super fancy here. And I don't know if Lama still or LACM still holds that program. But for me, that's the best way of learning how to play music. Maybe not so much for like other stuff, like who knows, film scoring or arranger or songwriter. I don't know. But as a performer, that's like easily the best. It was so good. That's a great point. Yeah, that 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 was the biggest uh, pull for me too. Was just getting to play with pr- like their the idea of the program was like you're gonna play with pros every day, and that was like wow, that's awesome. And and like you said, you get that instant feedback. And for anyone who's looking to to improve their skills, like just playing with other people <laughs> as much as you can, uh, and and. And getting that feedback is is invaluable. Yeah, like the, my my first l- short story can be that. Like, um, sure. once I decided to come here, like, and I ended up doing it in 2011. Uh, of course, my mindset was already changed because I knew where I was coming to, and I already uh, did all the stuff, and I I was excited to to join the LACM family. But I didn't know how it was going to be for me, my experience. You know, I just saw what, like, two couple of years ago, a friend's experience. So, but it was so crazy. Like, um, when I was young, like around 
18 or something like that. Um, my parents never liked me having like long hair. So they were always like, you should cut your hair. You should cut your hair. You should cut your hair. Like it happens to most like <laughs> rock guys. And one day I was like already kind of fed up with the long hair, like rhetoric, like, hey, cut your hair, cut your hair. So I, we were like um, outside the Tower Records. And I said to them like, hey, uh, okay, I'll cut my hair right now. Like, so we're done with this. If you buy me a CD, because back then... That's what we did, you know? Yeah. And they were like, I was like, if I'm going to do this, like on my benefit to just top like this thing and on the top of that, I can gain something, I'm going to do it. So I <laughs> bargained and I got that. And the CD that I got was uh, the G3 tour, but um, that it's Joe Satriani, Steve Vai and Eric Johnson. Like it's this cool CD that, um, that came out in the late 90s, I think. Yeah. This the reason why that part is important is because on that CD, Steve Vai plays with this bass player and his name is Philip Baino and you can see his, uh, his picture on, inside on the booklet of the CD. So 10 years, 12 years went by. I was already playing. I came here to LA. I had the first performance class with Bill, Bill Fowler at LACM or LAMA. And... Uh, and I sat down and it was like, okay, just play this and play this. And it was really simple. I, I was like, okay, this is really simple. And so just as I said before, that was the first hour. Then the second hour started. And who walks in? It was Philip Bino with his bass. Oh, and yeah. it was another drummer. And, the, and I, was, I remember like, and I had back then, I had like the, an Ivanes guitar, like uh, the white one, like the typical Steve Vai Ivanes guitar that, guitar players, all, all guitar players know. And I was like, uh, what am I supposed to do? I was like looking both <laughs> sides, you know, during the first hour, everything was so easy. But when once these guys came in and Philip has this like really like strong presence, I was like, oh. yeah, he's a big guy. He's got dreads and yeah. Uh, yeah. super deep voice. And really thick voice too. Yeah, see boys. Super nice guy, by the way. Super like, nice guy. guy. Yeah, yeah. It's like, <laughs> oh my God. Like, it was crazy. But that was my first experience in LA, I will say. Even like my first first LA experience, I, can, I consider that one. I have had a lot of the ones. And those are the ones that keep me going. I call them LA experience whenever something happens that can only happen here in LA. I have a bunch. <laughs> yeah. That, so the, my first was that. And it was basically the first week that I was here. And I was like, okay, I know what I'm doing here now. Okay. That, that it's always like the little push that you need to know what you're doing is the right thing. Um, and you and I, we both know that when you're far away from your family, you're far away from your comfort zone, we need those push. Things. Yeah, yeah. You need so. those little things to kind of like to keep you going. <laughs> to kind of make you feel like okay, I'm on the right path. You know, yeah. Uh, <laughs> those things are huge. Some some days are really rough. Yeah, you know, and and, and some days <laughs> it can be months or or whatever. Uh, but those little things, um, really really give you a boost. Whatever it is. It will just give you this boost of, of energy or confidence or, I don't know, inspiration just to keep going. It's, the, the, you feel, it, it's super important. Yeah, it's and, like validation or something. Yeah, yeah, 
yeah, yeah, that's that's how it is. So that was the coolest thing. And who who would have known? Like um, years later, um, I was able to actually play with Philip a gig, uh, sharing the same stage. He was right next to me, and we played at the Whiskey A Go Go in Hollywood. That back then, when I just came here in 2011, I was like, oh my god. Playing at the whiskey will be the greatest thing in the world. Right. Nobody does that, you know. <laughs> that's like a Metallica thing or Van Halen, like. And I, and and after that, I think I played like 30, 40 times at the whiskey. Like it right. became like a recurring thing. And I played with Matt Starr from Mr. Big and Philip Bino on the same band uh, yeah. on that stage. It's like that's how life goes. It's like you never know what what might happen but that's another like one of those la moments you know it's like and and i was lucky enough to feature philip on one of uh, my um upcoming songs that i hope to release soon um i actually delayed a personal project of having like this uh solo uh guitar record because of COVID. i just didn't want to release it during that whole pandemic era and it's almost done <laughs> yeah, and it features you too. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I was, uh, you know, lucky enough to play in a couple songs and honored enough to for you to ask me, and really excited for that release. Yeah. And it's it's been mentioned at least once on the show because I, we <laughs> I know. had jo- Jonas. I know because, <laughs> yeah, because it's this funny thing. Like um, this show features a lot of good friends, uh, some that I never played with, and some that I played, but all good friends and uh, friends of you that sometimes it coincides that they are also friends of mine and i think all good people with great great stories that's what is going to keep this this podcast going up and up hopefully <laughs> <laughs> thanks man thanks man. Yeah, i appreciate sure. you being on here yeah yeah uh what's what's like i mean you said uh i mean you've played in so, so many gigs what was like the biggest what was the biggest gig you've played so far? Like maybe in front of the most people or uh, uh just I, I yeah, go ahead. It's such a it's such a hard question to think like what's the biggest or the best. Yeah, it's, because, it's definitely um tricky. You Sorry. never know <laughs> if it is related to the one that is gonna make an impact on your career or if it's the one that actually is gonna stuck with you, or if it's the one that you had the most fun. Like right. there are so many things like, so that's why it's super hard for me, like at least to categorize something as like the best or the biggest. Yeah. But I can tell you a couple that were like special. Um, for example, uh, I had a special gig that was uh, with a former band that I used to play um, back in Ecuador. We got the privilege to open for, for Deep Purple. Uh, in front of like six, seven thousand people, it was like a completely full venue. Yeah, I, I remember like coming to the stage, seeing like the lights against me, and the only thing that you see when you you can feel the energy coming towards you, but it is true what they say: you can only see like the first ten rows, and after that, it's just blur. <laughs> um, so it was really cool. I wish like. Uh, things would have worked a little bit better in certain stuff. Like uh, we had an issue with like um, our sound engineer, the guy, we had a sound engineer with that band that worked with us all the time. Uh, he, it was this guy from Cuba and he was really good. He, he knew how to do his stuff and he was a cool guy. 
but he was old school. So he only knew how to deal with like analog consoles. Right. And luckily for us, that afternoon, the, um, the guys that put together the whole Deep Purple show set up a digital console for us. So if you know, it's a huge difference for the people that are listening and don't know the difference between like analog and, and digital. It's like going from like um, a Volkswagen Beetle to a Tesla, you know? It's like if you don't know how to drive, it's like it's not the same thing. They do things completely different. Well, and even among digital boards, they are, are different lay, too. laid out differently. So, yeah. if you've never even worked with that specific board, it could it can be a a little bit of a learning curve too. So, for that gig, like the the, the funny thing is that normally when you're opening for an international um, artist, you're the last wheel of the car. You know, nobody care about you. That's right. how mostly most of, of these like opening act things go. But incredibly, just because how awesome the Deep Purple crew were, we were not. They treat us all the time like we were part of the show. They allowed us to do the sound check that we wanted. They gave us all the options that we wanted, all the time in the world. And then we hit that little problem that it was not little by then, you know, because it's like, Literally, you had somebody that is supposed to be handling like the, the, the whole mix of the band and he has no idea how to work around. Like it's, it's like giving your great granddad like a, a computer, you know, it's like, <laughs> right. like, I have no idea how this thing works. Give me a typewriter and I can do it. Yeah. But like, and that just extended the, 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 the sound check over and over. Like it was, it became super long, so long. That Don Airy, the keyboard player from Deep Purple back then, because John Lord already retired. Uh, a little uh, cool note is that Don Airy is the guy that actually recorded the, um, the um, Mr. Crawley keyboards for Ozzy Osbourne. He's okay. The guy that recorded that. He's the keyboard player of, of Deep Purple. He came into the stage and he was right behind me and uh, our keyboard player setting up his his amps and his uh you know rotary speakers and all that stuff while we were sound checking um yeah. and i still remember the um, stage manager of deep purple coming to me and to my ear like hey and whispering in my ear like hey dude we are totally cool with you guys taking all the time that you need but we're about to open the, the doors and Don Airy needs to test his keyboards on the PA before uh, we open. So if you can just get it a little bit quicker, I will be super happy. That yeah. will never happen. Normally, you will just get kicked out of the stage. Right. These guys, the, the, this, this crew was amazing. They were so nice. Like They literally came to me and by then, well, still, a nobody. And they asked like, hey, if you can just rush a little bit, that would be great because <laughs> the big band needs to do a couple of things. Like, yeah. And as I said, that was a great experience. I remember most of that that gig, and I put it on my influential and like my top uh, parts. Unluckily, because of that issue that we had with the sound, um, I know that not a lot of people heard me play. You know, I played. But but like I don't know how the mix was outside. Like I have never seen a video of us playing there. Like I, I have pictures of us, 
but I have never seen an actual video of, of us and to see if people actually heard me. Yeah. So, um, but I don't care. I, I, I have like a lot of, that's why I, if that would have been like a great sounding, <laughs> I would probably put that one as like, oh, cool. I opened for Deeper but that for me, it's also one of my most influential bands in my life. Sure. You know, it's like, it, it was really special. Sure. Uh, but no, like, <laughs> and luckily there's no such thing for me at least, or maybe it's just me, this thing as a perfect gig. You know, it's like, there, yeah. there's this thing. Um, but, I do have another one that I can tell you that it's also in the good stuff that it's like um, back then in 2007, I think, or 2008, 2008, I think it was, uh, with a group of friends that I used to work a lot, gig a lot, like crazy amount of gigs, like a month. We were like a little bit fed up with just playing bars and playing weddings and playing that. And we were like, let's try to do something great. Like, so a group of three people, I was a bass player, a keyboard player, and me. We decided to go to uh, a beautiful theater uh, in the old town, Quito, Ecuador. And it was uh, this theater that was just rebuilt and it has amazing PA, great, like, robotic lights, everything top notch, everything beautiful, beautiful. And they were only using it for like uh, for like little small community theater things that was like they were charging like one dollar um, convenience fee to get in or something like that. So they were like really just wasting the opportunities of, of, of that theater. And we decided like, OK, we have a theater. Let's think of a really great show that we can put together here. And it was like a. 200 people um, theater. It was not big. It was just beautiful. It had like like a lower row and then a higher balcony type of thing. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so we came up with the idea like, why don't we just play the whole Dark Side of the Moon by Pink Floyd here? It was yeah. like, but it came out from us, you know, it's like it, it was, nobody really was doing it. Like it, it was like this need of doing something extra that is not just a regular gigging or like I got called, let's go play. That 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 was also in the heights highs of my career, I will put it, just because of that experience, not just as a performer, also as as part of the whole production of the of the show, because we took a huge gamble. I still remember telling the the the, the, the manager of the theater which was run by the by the city hall, but like independently run, run with the city hall. Okay, so it's like they have their own management, telling the hair like, okay, you're used to charging one dollar per ticket to get here and to the community theater and all that stuff. We want to do a concert, and we want to charge fifteen dollars for the people up up there and twenty for the people down there. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and she was like, what? No, like, <laughs> cannot do that. Like, that's too much. No, that's too much. Like, uh, and we were like, no, that's what the, our show is worth. Like, we're going to put together a huge uh, amount of work. And we had to sign papers and go crazy. And uh, I, I'm telling you, that was the first concert that was actually held in, of this type on that, on that venue. So we started working like 
crazy. First thing, put together a huge band with saxophone and backup singers and like, you know, big band. We were like nine musicians. And then like, okay, find the Pink Floyd uh, videos from, from that they used on pools on the, on the, on that tour, like that circular videos that you see on the back. We found them. So we actually projected that the, those on the back, then put together the music, then sign all the paperwork for the theater, then prepare all the promotion. And we didn't know if one person was going to actually take the gamble of paying $15, $20 for, right. for tickets. I'm talking about like also FYI, this was in Ecuador. The, uh, the average income in Ecuador is way less than the one in the United States. So... $20-$15 for, for a ticket for a show is a lot. Right. And that was in 2008 or 2007. I'm not 100% sure. So we took a huge gamble. Uh, I remember how nervous I was like the, the opening night. Sure. And incredibly, both nights were sold out. Like we nice. filled every single seat of that, of that venue. Um, and I, there was a funny story uh, on that on the um, first night that I was nervous because I was part of the, you know, the production team, but I also had to play. <laughs> right. And we were going to play the whole um, Dark Side of the Moon album, but the thing was to play Shine On You Crazy Diamond first, then the Dark Side of the Moon, and then the typical Pink Floyd tunes like Comfortably Numb and uh, Another Brick in the Wall and like almost like as an encore. So it was like a good two-hour show. Yeah, and if you've ever heard "Shine on You, Crazy Diamond," you know that this this song that starts with this keyboard pad that is like almost an one and a half minute, then it's like three minutes of guitar solo, really beautiful, spaced out like thing, with the videos on the back, and around like minute four or something like that, you hear the first lyrics part, like like the the singer comes in and it's like. Um, yeah. The remember when you were young part. Um, so everything was going amazing. Like the, the curtains of the theater open. You could hear the, 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 um, the pads. It sounded exactly like Pink Floyd. We had two keyboard players, both amazing. And it sounded awesome. You could hear all this thing. The video started rolling out of the little kids playing just like on poles. I was super nervous because I knew that these all were like iconic guitar lines. So I knew that like, you cannot fuck up any of this. <laughs> right. Everybody will notice. Uh, this is David Gilmore that you're talking about. Luckily, I didn't. So everything was like awesome. Awesome. Also, it's, it's a 6-8 feel of that song. It was going so smoothly. And then after the four-minute mark of the intro, this epic intro that people were going crazy, the the singing part starts and uh, my friend, the singer comes into the stage with his wireless microphone in his hand and he starts singing. Like <laughs> I could, we, we could all oh, see no. his mouth moving and absolutely no sound come out of the, of the wireless microphone. Oh, that's, that's and, and, and it just kept like, like that for like good 30, 40 seconds. And and we were like, no, no. Were you just looping no. the, the yeah. part? Yeah. What what happened is like the the crew guy that handled him the, the the wireless microphone didn't turn it on, and my friend 
was not used to using that wireless microphone either. Yeah. So he had no idea how to turn it on or if it was just like something that they didn't uh, unmute it from like the, 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 the board or something. Oh, uh, the sound guy must have been freaking out too because he yeah, was like, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that will be a, like a gl- great like blooper reel if somebody was filming him, like yeah. like going crazy, like what the hell, like it's going on. Yeah, I've it, been in that situation before. It was such a bummer. And here's the 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 top thing to to go. That was the opening night because we were playing there two nights in a row. Yeah, so 400 people. We were supposed to sell like 400 tickets, 200 every night. And once the crew guy comes into the stage and actually turns on the microphone, my friend, the singer, is a, it's the type of singer that likes stuff to be the right way. And he did, we thought that he was just going to keep going, but he decided to stop. He said, stop, 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 stop. We're going to start again. Oh. And we were like, what? Ah, like okay, I know why you're doing that, but like, oh, like, oh, like we just went through four minutes of total yeah. musical ecstasy. Like, oh man, oh, it was like, uh, it was worth it. But like, it so was you did, such you a started big, over. Yeah, but wow. we, well, you know what we did is like we took it from if you've ever heard that song that song has like this guitar line that is yeah right we okay. took it from there okay that is That's... like already around like three and a half minutes yeah i was gonna say to go all the way back to the yeah it, it was not <laughs> worth it to go all the way back because like that the vibe was already gone for that we were already rocking out the the the, the band the full band coming in so it was not worth like like going back to the the setup of the yeah ambience. you we already went through that so so keeping that in mind we started the song again but also that kind of ge- killed the mood a little oh, bit yeah. for that song on us sure luckily it was only on that song the uh, one other one of the biggest bombers of that is like because we had to cut it we could not uh resync the video so the people that went the first night, uh, "Shine on You, Crazy Diamond," basically was just like the first section, the unrepeated part, without the the uh, with the video, and then when we took it over without the video, we used the video for the whole for the whole "Dark Side of the Moon" part on both nights, and the the, yeah. the "Dark Side of the Moon" part went great for both nights, but the the "Shine on You, Crazy Diamond" that there was just this epic opening. It was kind of like ah, things that happen, you know. Sure, it can sure. happen to anyone in any situation. You don't find somebody to blame. You just have to. I don't know. Um, well, you just have to accept it and move on. <laughs> yeah, but luckily, but, luckily that that's how it, that's how it was. And and as great as it was, like we played those two nights with that show, and then we were hired in another city to repeat that. Oh. <laughs> and on that city, we also had a, a, a funny, a funny anecdote that is like we went to this other smaller town, a really small town in Ecuador. You know, it's like they never seen a concert probably, and we were bringing the whole dark side of the moon, moon and they <laughs> hired like they 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 rented like this um, big like 
um, big place, and it was awesome. They 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 set it up like because they wanted to do it big, you know. It's like they were like, oh my god, is it? We were Pink Floyd that night, you know. Right. And um, but this is what happened. <laughs> I was telling you, so, so the show was always like China and the Crazy Diamond. Then we were playing like the. Um, the the whole dark side of the moon and then we had a couple of like run like i think it was run like hell comfortably numb uh another brick in the wall and i think that was it it was just a short thing so we played in this small town that's it and when we were done they were not allowing us to leave because we didn't play wish you were here they were about to riot and destroy the place because we didn't play Wish You Were Here. And here's the funny thing. Like, I kind of knew Wish You Were Here. Some of us kind of knew, but the whole band didn't rehearse. I knew that the singer knew it and the people knew it. So we kind of did like this campfire version that yeah. say for us is there because we would have, I probably will still be there if it wasn't because of that. So we played head on a spike. Yeah, <laughs> that is what was waiting for us. Like, the, yeah. luckily, luckily we we pulled it off. But like, that was a song that we didn't prepare for that show. What do you I think, think it was that just was like? Why why were they so crazy on "Wish You Were Here"? I, mean, I don't it's a know. Great song, some but, some but people like... some people probably one radio station in that little town used to play that song a lot, and that's the song that everybody wanted to hear. I don't know, but but it was like crazy. They were really like, no, you have to play it. You have to play it. No, 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 you have to play it. No, and it was not like, <laughs> like two hundred people the, saying the, that. <laughs> exactly, it was not like the like the nice encore where you where you have like, okay, cool, um, just uh, one more song. One, yeah. it wasn't that. It was you have to play. Wish you were here if you want to live tonight. <laughs> Luckily, we did. Yeah, but so that was so those like I, I have other great stories because of the people that I had to, uh, the pleasure to play like uh, a good friend of mine uh, named Martin Tillman who I went to play an awesome beautiful show in Napa and played a couple here in LA just because of the vibe of the of the of the of the concept of the whole uh, show was awesome was just to raise awareness uh, against uh, multiple sclerosis you know and with these amazing musicians that i i played i was always like that also stuck with me like those gigs that i did with him yeah. so throughout the, my career i think i have a lot of like really cool ones just told you a couple but like as i said it's so hard to find like this you know, this was the one, or this is the best, or this is the most. Actually, the one with Deep Purple hasn't been the, the biggest audience that I played for. I think the biggest audience that I played for was like 12,000 people or something like that. At um, Town Square, back then, he also in, in Ecuador, it was like this free show with several artists, and I played with an, a local artist there. And when I came to the stage, it was like that, just the sea of people in front of me luckily that one the sound was good but that's when that night is when i learned that i really don't like um eating monitors that much because okay. i played with in-ear monitors and i just felt a little bit isolated of all that was going around me sure um, there's a give and a take to it yeah i know that there are ways to get around that like putting an ambient uh microphone and all that but like I don't know, and also the the, the in-ear monitors were using uh, were used also for like cues. So we were getting like 
cues like, okay, we're going to the bridge. Four, three, two, one. That, that I've never like had. That. that would be weird for me. I've never yeah, had that. I know why they do that. You know, it's like, especially like pop artists. This was a pop artist. Like he had his things. And I, I yeah. believe that we were playing with some tracks, uh, not like guitars and stuff like that. They were like, just like background vocals or little extra tracks, but I was not a huge fan. I'm not a huge fan of tracks and I'm not a huge fan of in-ear monitors. Like if I have to do it, I will do it both. But um, if I can play with a good drummer, and uh, with good monitoring system in front, that's my sweet spot. That's where I feel comfortable. I sure. should enjoy that more. Sure, for sure. That's fu- you know, it's funny. You were the concept of like, there's no perfect gig. I think that's that's an interesting thing just to think about and uh, kind of remember <laughs> when you're playing. And it and honestly, it shook loose a story that. Uh, I don't know if I've ever told you this one, but it it, it was that idea. It's also the idea of like I feel like I can jinx it if I like <laughs> talk. If I'm like, there's a gig going great. Like I I now have learned not to say anything until it's completely over because uh, I I played this festival a number of years ago up in like Northern California with uh, Salt Pedal and. It, it like it was just one of those days i we i think we were playing two days we were playing like three different stages or something and the first day is just going so like so great like we were all they just treated us so well everybody was like it seemed like they had thought of everything like the first the first stage that we played in the afternoon like they were just like so accommodating and like Everybody that we saw was so nice, and we were all just like commenting the whole day. I was just like, "This place is awesome," and and I played a number of shows with them where that wasn't the case. So like, uh, and we all had. So it's like, uh, you know, we're just being treated so well. We're just like, man, like they they had like, you know, like golf cart kind of things that would take us to the different stages and transport our gear around, like. There was just like always food at the backstage and extra water. They even like had like towels because it was hot and like spray bottle. Like it was just like everything. <laughs> you were the rock star. Yeah, it really felt like wow. They're like really taking care of of the artists. And there was like a whole like really nice like uh, air conditioned green room thing for all the artists and with like food and drinks and just everything you can think of. And we're just like, man, this is this place like let's play this place every year, you know, <laughs> kind of thing. And of course, I just had that thought that like, that like, yeah, everything's just going perfect. And then I was just like, man, I really hope I didn't jinx it. And we go to, we're playing like, kind of like a one of the bigger stages. And I, I think I was the first one to get there. And the the like sound guy saw me and was just like, kind of you know just nice you know same thing it was like nice guy and just like you know let me know if you guys need anything blah 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 and i was like cool yeah and so we're like setting up and then we did blah 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 a little sound check and like they're just i guess the sound guy never talked to the our our band leaders like i walked i didn't I, i don't know if it was my fault by not like trying to introduce them but like i don't know he just like greeted me i didn't 
know that he wasn't going to talk to anyone else, I guess. But anyway, we're like sound checking and there was a miscommunication, I guess. And we were just like, like one of the sound, the sound guys had like, there was like a, a monitor guy or like something, uh, you know, they had a whole team and I think that guy had just was like, we're good. And so we're like, all right, I guess we're starting. And so we just start and we're, we're, we play our set and it's like really fun. And we thought it, you know, went great. And we, we come off stage and the sound guy's just like waiting for us and fuming because apparently we like blew up his spot. Like he was supposed to like introduce us. And that was like his, apparently that was his favorite thing to do was to like introduce the bands and have this whole like spiel. We found out later that that's what he had done for all, like for the people, I think, I think it was somebody we knew had seen the previous show and was like, yeah, before the la the previous show, he like had this whole spiel about the band and introduced them and you guys just like started <laughs> and without any introduction and we were like well, we didn't we didn't know he didn't like say anything <laughs> and you know and the guy like we come off stage and and he and I, I just remember like the first thing he says like you guys started early and you ended early and we're just like so that's so we started early and ended early like that's okay right <laughs> like so mm -hmm. we still went the required amount and he was and he just like like really was upset with and like i felt so bad cuz our our singer autumn the the you know our front man front woman She's just like the nicest person ever. I, like, I know so yeah, you know Autumn, and she's so kind and so <laughs> yeah. loving and giving, and she just totally lit her up for, and she had no idea why what was going what on, was going on. <laughs> and like it was, we had we had had this amazing day, like at these two shows, and like the show went really well, like both shows went really well, and like uh, people, it was like a seated thing, and like people even like a handful of people even got up and like ran to the front to dance where there was like no dance it really area to dance and uh the, somebody had told us later was like that was the first time that's ever happened even at this this stage kind of thing <laughs> so it was like there was this amazing show and we're all like we come off the stage on this high and we just get lit up by yeah <laughs> by this sound guy and it was just like I mean, the whole it ruined kind of the whole night. We were like, "What was that?" It just totally changed the vibe. So anyway, it just reminded yeah. me that it's just like there's yeah. no real like don't don't get ahead of yourself. Yeah, <laughs> that you uh, totally jinxed it and you totally started early. Yeah, <laughs> it yeah. was your fault. <laughs> no. Right. Well, I, that, that's why it was like you started five minutes early and you ended five minutes early. It's <laughs> like okay, that's. Sounds fine. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I think I think you can have a full podcast about only about sound guys too. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, it's like we've met so many and like some great, some like villains of the story too. For yeah. sure. Yeah, that and that's already come up on some some of these pods as, yeah. as things with sound guys. But yeah, I know, yeah, yeah. I know like, you have some great stories loaded up here so i want to <laughs> open the floor up i i know you have one of the things that that we've talked about is just like just you feel like you're in the wrong place 
Like you're playing a show and you're just like, uh, some like these people don't want us here. <laughs> like exactly. we're not supposed to be yeah. here. And we've talked about that a number of times. And I, I want to hear at least one of your stories yeah. to that. <laughs> yeah, just like as a little product for that. I think those are the worst type of gigs. Like if you ask me, a gig where you blow your amp or you break all the strings on your guitar is still better than a gig where you're not supposed to play. Yeah. That's, that's like for me the worst feeling in the world. Like, um, and it does happen up like kind of often. Like um, that I don't know people from a restaurant or from a venue or a party. They decide to hire music, you know, and they don't say what type of music they want. They don't say or they don't think about how loud they want the music to be, or they they just don't think about like the space that they have available. You know, there are so many factors that can become a gig into a nightmare. Yeah. And if, you, if, for example, if you bring like an acoustic drum set into a highly resonant small room, you're already fueling the fires for like the worst possible outcome. You know, it's like you're just going to hear the, the back of the, the clap back of the drums all the time. And it's going to be super hard to, to understand anything. Why bringing live music to that venue or as i said when you have you know you're not gonna bring bring like a slayer tribute concert to the to your grandparents house you know it's like there are certain things that definitely whenever you're you feel and and this is you talked about jinxing something you know it's like right. jinx stuff when you when you think like oh my god i ha i am that those type of people that instead of like saying and i'm thinking i i jinxed it I do have bad feelings about certain shows. You know, it's like when you're at the sound check or when you're setting up, you're already starting to have like uh, uh, something, uh, something is not that great. You know, it's like something feels odd here. I hope I'm not jinxing it, but it's probably beyond my control right now. Sure. And so, yeah, I have a couple. One is a really funny story. And one is like, the craziest worst gig of my life <laughs> yeah that i've played like thousands of times in front of people thousands like i'm i'm, I'm yeah. happy and glad that i can say that and and this tops the like i'm gonna start with that one with the with the okay <laughs> with the incredibly crazy one so i used to play with this band and one after one rehearsal I told them like, you know what we should do is like, we should start talking with like maybe universities locally here in, in Ecuador and do like a university tour, you know, going to university venues, like theaters and stuff like that and play for, and they really liked it. And they were, the band had something that was good. That was like when they had something that they wanted to do, they tried to pull it off. So they started working on that. But I was never involved on in the on the actual production of the thing. I was like just a guitar player of the band, and so we started doing this like university uh, tour, and it was mostly locally. But like, so we went to my former college back there. We went to a couple other colleges, and most of those shows went well. On one, for example, I was just telling you, like, this is not the worst, but on one, for example, by the, back then I had like this beautiful Mesa Boogie uh, preamp and we were playing like the campus of this college was like in the 
part that it was already part of a mountain. So like the electricity there was horrible, yeah. terrible. And I think like my, my, my amp, my really expensive Mesa Boogie amp was going up, uh, going out and back on, off, on, off, on. Uh, and I'm pretty sure that damaged my, my really expensive amp. Yeah. Still not the worst one of those, sure. of those set of, <laughs> of, <laughs> of, of things, you know, I broke my amp. I, I, I was having problems on station. One of those, uh, uh, shows of those of that tour but like that was okay it was bad but i can live with that you know the other one is the one that i cannot live after i think this was the last one <laughs> the <laughs> one i cannot live <laughs> yeah the other one is the one that i like i think the, the 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 one that was the horribly the horrible one was the last one the worst gift of my life so um there was this other university that also was part of this uh, group of shows. And uh, the campus, uh, this is part important part of the story. The campus looks like a shopping mall. You know, it has like escalators and it has extremely resonant rooms, you know, like where you can hear the echo of the big halls. And most of, most of the classrooms are like also super resonant and super like, uh, life with the acoustics, you know, it's like really like classrooms, you know, yeah. no carpet, no, 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 no foam or no anything on the walls to try to avoid sound to go out. So it was this thing. So when they booked the, the, the show at this last university, I was like, okay, cool. We're going to play there. I thought that they had like an auditorium or, or a place that we were going to able to play or a theater inside the, like other, sure. some of the other universities had. But since the campus was so new, they didn't. They didn't have. Uh, I remember arriving to the to the sound check, and I thinking, I wonder where are we gonna play? Because I don't think there's like, I think, and I already knew that the middle hall of the university was first of all was in the middle of the university, so so all the classrooms will not be able to teach, you know, because <laughs> of the sound. Right. So I was like, I, I don't know where we're gonna play. So I called one of the guys and said, like, yeah, I just, just bring, we're in this room. Bring your, your gear and set up. We're already starting to set up. So I come up the stairs from the parking structure. I go into the class, into the, a room that I thought it was going to be like an auditorium or something like that. And it turns out it was just a big classroom. And they were already setting up like, the PA for playing at a Coliseum. <laughs> <Okay>. Yeah. <laughs> You're starting to see where this is going. Okay. It's yeah. like, it's kind of easy to see it. Like you didn't need to be a genius to see that something was wrong there. Yeah. So we were in this big classroom setting up the biggest drum set that you can think because we were like kind of like a proggy hard rock, heavy metal band. And we were putting like all this PA and the stage and like a, a little like low stage, you know, it's like with a drum riser and lights. And uh, we had a sound engineer who, who was, a, it's, it's a friend of mine and he's a super strict, like, you know, like super strict and serious sound engineer. If you sure. come to tell him something, he will say, fuck off, you know, <laughs> good, a good one. But he was like, not, he was not like cool with anybody saying anything to him while he was working. Yeah. So we started setting up all these things. This is 
funny because I'm going to say something that is going to contradict a little bit something that I just said before. <laughs> But on this gig specifically, I am so glad and so happy that I had in-ear monitors. Sure. You're going to see why. <laughs> so we, we kept setting up. I brought my big amp also. So we had amps, drums, huge PA in these lights on this stupid little classroom. And they also had like this thing of like, um, uh, they were going to give like Miss University or something like that. They had like a pageant contest there also before we played. So I didn't understand what we were doing there. Like, are we going to play like a concert to promote our band or are we going to be part of this event of the pageant? I, I don't know. But it still was a classroom. Like, it was weird. And it turns out like the whole deal with the was never done with the university. Uh -huh. It was done with the student council of the university. So when we went there, the student council was the one that was preparing this surprise concert by my former <laughs> surprise band. Surprise concert. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like that. So we were sound checking. And during sound checking, I already like impressed that nobody came and nobody said anything because we were sound checking a little bit loud. But okay, like then we stopped and then this pageant happened and then it was time to play. I already had like the worst feeling in my gut. And I was like, <laughs> oh my God. I think that we should not be playing here. Like, I really think that this is not a music venue. This was not designed for music. And I'm pretty sure they are having like math class above us, like chemistry class right next door. And another, like, I don't know, marketing on the other, yeah. on the other side, you know? And then we started playing. And I was playing by the side of the, of the, of the door of the main door i was right there so it was me so it was the door to come into the classroom me and the rest of the band was to my right you know they were to my left okay so i was the first one to have like visual contact with everything that was going around <laughs> on the exterior and right on the door of this classroom so we started playing first song stupidly loud like really like a rock concert should be. And I started seeing some people starting to freak out next to me. <laughs> like 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 some students or some some people and a couple of teachers maybe came in already also like, you know? And I just said, I was so happy that I had in-ear monitors because I couldn't hear it. Right. I was just watching, you know, like the lip thing, the lip movement of the, all these people next to me. And I was like, uh-uh. Uh oh, disaster adverted, you know, disaster adverted already. Like <laughs> I started seeing and seeing and seeing. And then I see, like, I could tell it was like a higher ranking member of the university coming in. And he was like, just what you told me of your sound guy. Like, he was asking, like, who the hell is here? Who is the responsible of this? First, they asked us to lower the volume. Remember what I told you about the, the sound engineer that was working? Yeah. He was so pissed because they asked him to, to turn off the volume, to, to lower it. He was like, what do they bring me here? Like, why am I doing here? If you don't want like this, this is horrible. And it's already on zero. The failure, the master failure is on zero. What do you want to do? It's like, no, it's like, right. okay, you brought us like, and, and that was already going on. But then as I was telling you, like the, the, like, I don't know, the Dean of the university walks in. 
and he was like fuming like he was like I could just see his hands like hell like, like that <laughs> and, and that was like on the third song or some shit like that and I was like trying to you know like just don't look just at shut it, don't it look out. At it. Just, just, just avoid looking at it let yeah. it go it's not your fault you're just playing the guitar don't <laughs> right. ignore it ignore right. it if I don't look at it like yeah. it's not happening <laughs> exactly it, it, I, it was just like watching a car crash about to happen you know and you can feel the tension too I, I could really feel I could feel how he was screaming you know to the guys from the from the student council like what the hell you know what are you doing here <laughs> shit like what this is so loud there's classes this is a university and all that stuff i could feel it i could feel it, it was like cringing i just would do i just was just i'm telling you it was like the third song and i was like i just don't want to play anymore i just don't want to right but it gets worse it gets <laughs> worse because one of the ideas of the the idea of this whole university tour was to actually always do it in like big you know Big meaning we have lights, big sound. Yeah. Pyrotechnics. Oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> Inside. Exactly. So they brought like a little bit of pyrotechnics into that classroom. <laughs> and and they decided to light it up with a pyrotechnics guy. It, it was not pyrotechnics that like like um they call this dry pyrotechnics or something like that. It's like okay. just small ones for a small smaller venues but still pyrotechnics yeah and they decide the guy from the pyrotechnics decided to light it up while this the dean was screaming next to me you know <laughs> and, and i could see the the whole room filling up with like smoke you know <laughs> and i was like okay it's stupidly loud the guy is screaming next to me i cannot see anybody nobody's really enjoying this no it's not like like we had a big crowd that was gonna support us or say anything <laughs> no let them play no 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 there were like a group of students in front of us and we were like just it and it gets worse <laughs> if it can just this was like the cherry on top you know it's like this was going on with the smoke and everything and one part of pyrotechnics was like confetti oh you know like one of those like the confetti that was like the the the, the, the cannon the, the big yeah the, the finale the, it has like two little cannons in front of the of the stage and <laughs> and the pyrotechnics guy again decides to while everything was going horribly wrong like 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 what is happening here decides to turn on like the one of the confetti and that one goes on and like boom like the whole room was filled with confetti okay cool stop there like that's good like but and, and the guy seeing this the dean or whatever was getting even more mad and more mad with everything what's going on and we were not stopping <clears throat> And then they saw the, the pyrotechnics guys decide, like, okay, I have another confetti thing, and he engages it. And that one does not explode like it should. Instead, it explodes like it just uh, propels like a ball of confetti that did not open. What? And goes right through the roof of what? the room. Like, poof, like a bullet. <laughs> and makes a huge hole on the roof oh <laughs> while God. we were playing 
oh my god with everybody just screaming at us that we should not be there i was like what the fuck? <laughs> you know it's like <laughs> oh, that's the last thing that i could have hope for like oh my god i just still cannot believe it it's like it's like the candid camera come <laughs> going i come out of one second or what the fuck wow luckily by 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 then everybody was like screaming going bananas like crazy I still remember like that was of course our last song of the <laughs> of the morning because yeah. it was during it was not at night. It was <laughs> of like, course it was the morning too. Exactly. That was our last song of the morning and we were, I was like, oh my god, that was fucking terrible. Like, oh I'm never gonna forget this ever again because this is the worst. Like every single second that I was on that stage was uncomfortable. Every single one. Since since I started doing the 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 sound check, I felt like I should not be here. No yeah. band should be playing in this place. No band should be playing today because during this time, because there's classes around us, it's not going to work. Like maybe I jinxed it, but I don't think that it was on my hand. Uh, no, no, I, if I would have been <laughs> the most positive outgoing person that morning, all that shit would still have happened. Definitely. You, you can notice like the things were not good. You know, you could see that somebody fucked up really bad here somebody didn't get the permits to do it somebody probably said oh it's just gonna they're gonna just bring like a couple of acoustic guitars and they, we will all sing kumbaya together <laughs> that's not, not what we had on plan wait so take me through the thing so the ball of confetti goes through, <laughs> this, through the ceiling yes and you're in the middle of your your last Fourth yeah. song, <laughs> yeah. Like you just stop. No, we didn't. After, we finished the song. After the song, though, you just yeah. The, I remember which which song it was. It was the. Uh, I think it's. This has a theme. The recording thing. It was a Pink Floyd song. Okay. We were doing the. Do you remember that cover version that Tom Morello did of Another Brick in the Wall with the guys from uh, Alice in Chains and Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. We were playing that version of that song. Gotcha. That was our third song, and like, uh, and I think they chose that. You know, like, it, if you know another brick in the wall, the sure. chorus of that song is, "Hey, teacher, leave those kids alone." Man, that makes yeah. it f even funnier <laughs> that that's that that's the song playing while this all happens. Yeah, oh my that God. was the song going like that. We were playing <laughs> when everything was going bananas outside. Like, if Wow. I, I, I don't know what I would have done if I would not have had like in-ear monitors because I do get affected a lot by things that go around like the stage. It affects me a lot. So if I would have been able to hear all that stuff, I could see it, you know? Yeah. It was making me really uncomfortable. But if I would have been able to hear what they were saying, I would have probably dropped my guitar and just leave like uh, because it was too uncomfortable. It reached the level of... of um, of like craziness there like sure um and i have had a couple of, of of gigs like that this one was the worst easily as i said i mentioned it to the band's manager one day that was the worst gig that i've ever had in my life <laughs> and he tried to justify no i'm pretty sure you have had worse and i was like <laughs> no no this is the worst believe me i have never felt more uncomfortable on a stage that that day uh, and that teaches you a thing that unluckily not always is going to be in your hand but like you need to know 
when to say no and when to cancel even a show, even if you already like have all the confetti machines ready to fire. <laughs> you know? that, yeah, that'd be, I mean, to be there though, like there's so many moving parts, so many people that are, that are ready to go yeah. to like, to just say, no, nah, we're not going to do it. Like, how do you, I know that it's hard. That? I know that it's hard, but at the same time, you have to put it on a balance that doing it was even more harmful than not doing it. Right. It was like probably all the people, because here's the thing. I think I was, the band was the only ones not getting paid for that. The guy from Pyrotechnics ah. was getting paid for doing that. The guy from the sound, sound engineer was getting paid. The guy that rented us the PA was getting paid. Common story. The, the bands are the only one. The band is the only people not getting paid. <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, another show, thing yeah. that yeah, the, uh, but but that was the agreement. I was part of the sure, band, so, sure, so sure. you know how it is. Like that, that was a given already. I, even if I would have gotten paid for that, it would have still sucked. Like of the course, biggest of course, thing ever. You know, it's like it's just one one of those things. Like you just need one of those things: the wrong audience, the wrong venue, or the wrong gear, maybe or instrument. To have that experience, you know. Sure. If, if one of those is really against the, the 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 what you can bring, you're already starting with the wrong foot. So you have to be careful. That's 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 the that's the thing. Like saying no sometimes is good, or or doing a little bit of a background check. Like, <laughs> okay, where are we gonna play? Cool. There's a <laughs> there's a a theater in your college. Okay, cool. We can play there. Right, do your due Perfect. diligence. Yeah, well, that, a little that, bit of that background thing, like that, that you check before going or starting something. But and luckily that didn't happen, and that escaped the, the our capabilities that 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 afternoon or morning. I don't even remember what it was, but oh my god, it took me a little bit to recover from that. I was I, like scared to go up and play again after that because I was like. I don't know, you know, it's like, it, I felt so uncomfortable for the right. 15 minutes that I was on stage that it created that. It's uh, like a like traumatic, yeah. It was, it was. Well, and, and that actually puts in perspective a little bit because like we've had the, those conversations a number of times because we've played in multiple projects together where where you've been like, yeah, I don't know if this is the right place. Like, uh, well, I think maybe it was our first gig outside of or what maybe not our first gig but yeah, one, one of our first gig yeah uh we we started a band called the la rocks uh -huh. when we were in uh when yeah. we were in school You're right. and it was just like a, you know covers but all like bands from la kind of thing and i remember that there was a bar that we had an opportunity to play at and we had heard about uh somebody having a bad experience there because of kind of that same idea that was like they just set up a, a a band in the corner and like they got all these complaints because there was like they sat a table like right next to one of the speakers and like it was just too and, loud. and so yeah. it was too loud and and the, the 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 people that we knew that played there were just like just had a bad story and we were kind of like yeah I don't know we, and we had already booked the gig yeah when we had heard about that and it was a paid and, gig and it was a paid gig and one of then, our first ones. I think yeah. for you and for me, yeah. it was one of our first ones. That was I a think it was, yeah. And we were just like, yeah, I don't know if it's <laughs> worth. And I remember like calling the booker 
after that conversation and being like, I don't know, we're, we're kind of like hesitant. And the, she like convinced me to, to try it. <laughs> and it was, I mean, it was fine, but it and was I still. Think, and I think the one that brought like those, those points was probably me that well, I was that's, like, ah. yeah. And not, and now that's putting in that into perspective, like how traumatized you were. For I, I was, I for was, and, and I think it, luckily, I think it's a good trauma because, for example, since I live here in LA, you know what I do every time that they call me for like a gig anywhere, anyone. Like, if it is at a venue, I always, always double check and put the name on Google. Like, yeah. okay, what's the name of the venue? And like, just to see what is the environment that I'm sure. gonna face. So it's like, uh, you're going to play at this uh, down and out. Okay, cool. Like Google. Okay, cool. They normally have loud music there. Awesome. So yeah. that takes a little bit of that pressure because I, it was such a traumatizing experience that it just kept with me for, for the rest of my life. Of course, when, I, when you play, luckily when you play at a big festival or a big concert, you don't have to worry about that. This is a traumatizing story for like more like one-offs. Sure, sure. You, because when you're like in the in the uh, recurring gigs or or venues that you already know, there's that doesn't exist. But whenever you have a one-off, it is like okay. And sometimes you also work with musicians that don't understand to adapt to a certain venue. Well, there's that. And there's, drummers. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. drummers. But Some, like, sometimes uh, guitar I know too. the drummers wants to bash the shit out of the drums, <laughs> but like some have to understand that sometimes that's not the brightest idea, especially at the beginning. I always say to, to, to musicians in general, like it's much better to ease in the volume. You know, it's like you start feeding it up, up, up until you people feel comfortable and you just keep going at a decent volume. Then just start with a bang, getting everybody scared. And then it's having to lower it, lower it, lower it. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, there, there have definitely been many places too, though, that are really sensitive to that, that have normal bands like every night or, or regularly. And they're still just like really, really specific about how loud they want things to be. And, yeah, you know, a, a rock band or just any band coming in there like you're already kind of like louder than just you playing normal you're you're louder than they want you to be and it's it it's like a constant fight and i've been on on stage plenty of time where with that similar feeling not with you know confetti going through the roof or whatever but um yeah. i but, remember telling i remember telling that to a, a guy that i used to play who was a bass player and an asshole i told him like because he will just come <laughs> in into the stage uh, not to the stage, to the rehearsal room. And the first thing that he will do is like just turn his amp to 10 and turn it on and start playing like the bass like crazy. And I was like, and always everybody will complain like, you're too loud, you're too loud. And he was pissed off because everybody complained that he was too loud. And I was like, of course, everybody's going to tell you that you're too loud. You're doing the things like wrong. Like you should start with a lower volume. And then if you want to be loud, just start like rising it up as the as the thing go but if right. you start with the volume at 10 you're gonna scare the shit out of everybody and like nobody's gonna like even having you on the room you know it's like it's it becomes annoying sure but like it, it's super normal so so that i'm saying that because i mentioned drummers the drums and luckily is an instrument that it's a little bit more difficult to control this thing where you can play with intensity 
and lower the volume. I have known yeah. drummers that are able to do that, but not everyone. Okay? Yeah, it's, it's really it's, tricky. It's, yeah, it's a tricky, weird spot because I have a benefit with amps or whatever. You can always turn it down. There's a knob there. You just turn the knob and you can still bash the shit out of the guitar and still the volume is lower. But drums is not like that. So I understand why, but like not every drummer learns how to do that. And that's super important. Like when you want to gig a lot, a drummer that can control his, you know, his level of intensity and volume, it's worth a million bucks. It's true. It's true. And and sometimes there's just uh, there's just no. Like there's just no winning. <laughs> yeah. Depending and, on the place, I've played in some casinos where it's just like, if you got like, I don't know, get a get a drum shield if you really because it's like the drummer's just barely hitting and they're yeah. still complaining. It's like electronic drums is the, is yeah. the only solution to that. Or yeah. So it, it the these are just things you have to deal with if you play, yeah. if you gig so that, a lot. That, and, that's a food for thought for any musician that that is listening to this episode is like knowing the environment that you're gonna play is really important yeah like it's, it might give you a heads up to before you go to the gig or before you start doing anything it's just really gonna gonna be helpful for you in the future um for sure because you don't want to be the loud that the band that was too loud or the band that was too soft because yeah when you're too Goldilocks. soft also you're <laughs> There's a, you have to find your way around what it's manageable. And yeah, it's like I recently, just like a week ago, I had a gig that this issue came up um, here in LA. We were hired for like a sweet, uh, a sweet 16 type of uh, party with a cover band that I'm playing here. And we set up the, the things and one of the guys, it was a little venue in Burbank and next to it, there was like this um, shop. And the guy from the shop comes to, to us while we were setting up. It's like, are you going to play loud music? But like really mad already. Yeah. You know? Are you going to play music? And we were like, yeah, there's a party. Can you see? It's like, <laughs> <laughs> we're setting up all this. It's not just for fun. Um, and he's like, okay, be careful because love the, the neighbors, like respect the neighbors. And already we haven't played a single note. And he was already giving us shit yeah. just because he saw a drum set. So luckily, we we managed to win him over, and we did our job well that night. And at the end, the same guy from the store came to us and asked us for a business card because he liked how we handled the whole night. So That's cool. You it won is him over. too. Like it, it, that is a triumph that you can enjoy too <laughs> when you manage to flip the things around. Yeah. Um, so uh, I have another story that I can tell you if you want me. Like it's. About the same, but in another side of the of the thing. This is a yes. funny one. That sounds well, good. Well, the other one was fun too, because like <laughs> you will never expect a hole in the ceiling with a confetti machine. Yeah, I did not expect that. That was great. <laughs> that was great. This one is funny because of the of how to deal with certain situations. So I don't know if you want me to tell this one or if you yeah. want me to go somewhere else. Yeah? No, let's let's hear okay, it. Okay, it's the same thing. The same thing that is, I, I told you that might be the theme of this episode. Yeah. Uh, we got I, I got hired for with my band and we had electronic drums. Yeah. Electric drums. 
So adapting to the volume was really easy for us. But we got hired for a private um, kind of a private event for an, I think it was an office gathering. So it was like um, this, you know, fancy cocktail type of show. It wasn't a show, but they rented a discotheque, you know, that had like um, a really high rise stage. So the stage was like really, really up. You will see it like, well, we use meters. So I'm going to say like two, two meters above the rest of the people, you know, where the people are like under you. Okay. So... Um, the, the we we set up and we went to for the sound check we set it up everything and and then the event started and we were supposed to play while they were just chatting and hanging out and uh doing their own things this is a band that i played tons and tons of uh of gigs before i still play them i still play with them when i'm in ecuador they are like a good uh band that are all my friends so we went there, we started playing, and immediately, not even like 10 seconds of the first song, hey, can you turn it down a little bit? Okay. 10 more seconds, a little bit more. 10 more seconds, more, more, more. And there's a funny thing that I have to say about that band. The singer that, that I work in that band is a true rock guy. He's not one of those rockstar wannabe. He actually grew up listening since he was like two years old to the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and the Doors. So he he lives that, you know. He so he doesn't like when we get we we we're given orders like turn down, do this, learn this song, I'll do this. He's not like an entertainer type of thing. He's more like a rock guy. He loves rock and he loves singing because he loves rock. So he starts to get pissed off. As this lady, I remember, will come and say to us like, hey, can you lower it more? Can you lower it more? More, more. We reached a level that we were playing so low, but so low that they could not hear us like like the people that were <laughs> down talking and not dancing because you will not dance to the so <laughs> here's the funny part of this story the singer my friend the singer was so pissed off he says okay we are this low fuck you but you know what we're gonna do what i'm gonna do because i, I didn't have a microphone he started changing the lyrics of every song <laughs> so we were playing and he will start saying like the lyrics, like for example, there was like a pointy hair guy in the audience, in the in the people, and he will start saying like lyrics like, "Oh, how stupid the pointy hair guy looks! <laughs> he's drinking his beer and he's just a stupid asshole." <laughs> and we started playing and playing, and he will just we were like cracking up on the stage because we still had a little bit of the of the monitoring, right? So you could hear what he was saying. But he didn't give a fuck. He was just going over everybody. And this stupid bitch is coming to tell me to lower my volume. Fuck you, <laughs> fuck you. Fuck you, go to hell, stupid bitch. And like all the lyrics were changed. And we kept playing. We, we were always telling like, why did they hire us? You know, it's like, why the hell did they brought us if they wanted just like, I mean, music that, that like, 
they could have just turned on uh, like a Bluetooth speaker on a corner and have the exact same effect. They had to pay us and they had to 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 do the stuff. We did everything professionally, but like there was absolutely no point of having live music there. Sure. So it wasn't comfortable again in the same way of the situation, but at least I was a little bit worried while we were doing that because I was like, ah, if one of these assholes has good ear and he listens <laughs> what he's saying, we might be in trouble. But that can show you how low we were that nobody noticed. Wow. And, and we played like a good 45 minutes like that. Like, like we were just playing to comply with the agreement that we had and to yeah. just... Uh, every single lyric was changed. Every single thing was so freaking funny because my friend was just mocking everybody there, like pissed off. He was not. He was not doing out like, like that. He was having fun. He was really pissed off. He just wanted yeah. for them to come and say something. Slashing out. Exactly. He was lashing them out like crazy, and but we were like cracking up on, on, on over there, like a little bit worried that somebody might listen, but at the same time listening to all the bullshit that he was saying, like, like, okay, that's funny. Okay. That's funny. I can see that. Okay. That's funny. <laughs> so that funny. Yeah. There are different ways of dealing with this situation. For sure. I, uh, I wonder, I mean, we, we've hit a lot of like points of advice, I think <laughs> throughout, <laughs> yeah. throughout the, the episode, but I'm just wondering if there's any other, like, general advice you have to, to other musicians you have so much experience um love well, to... i think the main one is what the one that you were saying like you have to learn how to pick your battles and maybe another one that i can give is like there's no better feeling than playing with good people you know it's like if i learned something after all these years is like playing with good people it's even better than playing just with good musicians who are not good people. Sure. You know, it's like um, when you are in a good playing environment, all the crazy stories that we've talked, not only me, you and everybody, becomes more bearable. Right. Because when you are with shitty people, everything just gets worse. You know, even the little, like the, like the smallest thing that you can think that might happen on a, on, on a gig gets like exponentially like... Um, bigger just because there's an asshole next to you, <laughs> you know? right? So well, they might be causing it, or if they're yeah, exactly, the, or just fueling the fire. Yeah, <laughs> and it can be something something as simple that 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 brings me another story, like a short one. Sure. Like uh, I I used to work with people who were, who were not great, and I was in a venue, and we finished playing. And we set it up like we set up our own microphones. Okay, so it's like each one has their own, had their own microphone that they brought for the gig. So we didn't use like the venue's microphones. And we finished playing, and then suddenly the owner of the bar comes to me, extremely mad, like extremely mad. And he's like, "Hey, dude." I don't know what the fuck is the problem with your bass player, but like tell him that if he's still like that, I'm gonna break his teeth he was like Whoa. and i was like what like what are you talking about like i have no idea what are you talking about like i was like what like luckily it was afterwards the, the 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 gig or else i would have been super pissed and i went to try to find out something and it turns out like the this guy was trying to find somebody to blame because he thought that somebody stole his microphone 
Oh. So he was like going on uh, like to everybody. You stole my microphone. You stole my microphone. Where the fuck is my microphone? You asshole. Like, like, but with a drunk, really bad, stupid attitude, not trying to figure out who actually where his microphone was, just trying to be stupid. You're talking about the bass player. Exactly. Was, uh, okay, exactly. Yeah. And it turns out later that the person that had the microphone was the singer. He never even thought about asking the singer, Hey, did you maybe grab my microphone too? And not just yours. <laughs> Yeah, because that would have saved the whole situation. But like such a simple thing, like you know, it's like the singer finished singing and 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 grabbed both microphones. Uh, easy situation, nothing happens if you just ask. And then if she didn't or nobody from the band took it, you can start getting a little bit more worried or mad. But no, like the the option was like I'm gonna go off for, in front of everybody, be the stupidest people here. The, the stupidest person and and like ra like completely ran against like the owner of the bar, almost accusing him of stealing from me and and stuff like that. See, it's like it was such a simple situation that it was completely exacerbated for the wrong person in the room. You know, it's like so music gives you a lot of experiences, like definitely like good ones and, and not so great ones. And and you have to that another piece of advice since we're like <laughs> we should I, I we should actually uh collect money, like put a GoFundMe or something like that just for the <laughs> for, amount of advice. On for the advice, yeah. Like, um it's a master class. Yeah. We'll be just like um and I just because making that joke, I just lost my train of thought. Um, would be I don't know. It's like to try to to, as I said, always be surrounded by 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 the right people, but at the same time, try to have like the best attitude towards adversity. Yeah, because adversity will come. No matter if you are, you know, if you are the Rolling Stones or like the biggest band in the world, you too you're going to find adversity and i can i'm 100% sure that you can find horrible stories from every single one of your favorite bands every single one of your favorite musicians uh, gear going out or 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 audience being bad or or something yeah. but like having the best attitude towards that kind of situation can actually save your ass and make the people around you feel more comfortable of in an uncomfortable uh, uncomfortable situation because imagine of the story that you told me about like these these uh thing that happened with you, with some salt pedal right um if one of you was an asshole well and will have actually sided ways with the guy that was ranting at the at the at the singer it would have been horrible you know right. like or just like throwing it right back at him and screamed back at it because like we that were too. all just so shocked. like oh no like it was your fault you told us that we were like but with a really bad attitude see yeah we are the ones that can help to ease back certain things that happen and that is in our hands and we should try to do that like um controlling or our feelings and our urges are something important that we have to develop uh, as we play more and more and more. So when we are facing greatness, we can cherish it. And when we're great uh, facing adversity, we can also deal with it. So it's like um, definitely, definitely something to keep in mind because you will experience both. 
no matter if you are like a little kid that's just learning how to learn uh, how to play the guitar or if you're like a the world season musician that is playing all around, all around the world those two things happen to everybody that's the, the the perk of this career we don't go to the office every day you know it's like it's not like we we don't do the stuff in the same place in the same way every day we always we're we are our 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 job is to be in constant motion we we do this today here then tomorrow we do it in another place we do it today in front of these people the next day is another group of people so we have to prepare for everything because like you know Adaptable. you don't know what's going to be in front of you and yeah. that is, again that includes uh, a lot of uh, factors that can can change drastically the outcome of any situation venue sound sound engineer audience you know it's like those are the ones that you have no control over it so so you have to be prepared for whatever it is the lucky number that you got yeah you just have to have to adapt to you know to any situation pretty much and just to piggyback a little bit on the on the attitude thing and uh, for some reason i just i i thought about um being being careful about like talking crap too you know yeah. and yeah. or or just like kind of who you're talking to i i don't know why this story popped into my head but like early on like the first tour i ever did uh, this was well before i came to la um went on this little tour and like the the final show of the tour was at like the biggest venue we were playing and it was this really cool venue and like uh up in up in Minneapolis and we were like super pumped and like not that many people showed up and mm -hmm. so we were all like oh man this was such a cool spot and like you know we we did our best and we played and it was super fun but like it was just like, yeah, if there was just like some more people, that would have been more. So we were, that was kind of like a theme that we had been talking about. And like somebody came up to me after the show and was like, oh, you guys were great. That was so good. And, and I just kind of went, yeah. Oh, thanks so much. Yeah. I, do, I wish there was more people, but you know, and I didn't know that was like the promoter that mm. I was talking to. And she just gives me this, just like, yeah, oh, I will. I wish, yeah, if only somebody would have promoted it better. And I was just like, oh, yeah. And then, like, I walked away and somebody was like, yeah, that was the promoter, dude. And I was like, <laughs> oh, my God. Like, I felt <laughs> like such a horse's patoot, you know, yeah. <laughs> that uh, that have happened to me, not related to music, but I know how it feels. Like, yeah. When suddenly you, you, you let your mouth go and, you just realize that you just fuck yourself over. Like, yeah, ah, it's so. so it was, but it was just a good lesson that it was just like, yeah, don't, don't complain to people that you don't know, or just don't talk yeah. shit about anything. You know, it was just like, be well, careful with what you say. <laughs> I, I think, I think, uh, I think sometimes continuing with the with 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 the lesson part of the podcast yeah. <laughs> is like. Also, I think we need to learn the not to be overcritical about like stuff that 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 goes you, can, you what i mean by that is like especially with yourself yeah. because as we've talked so far there are so many factors that that come into play 
with uh, with the success of any gig or any show that sometimes you can be too harsh on yourself have to try to get out and see the whole picture before you make your own critical view you get your own um going back like to the to story that i told you with the opening for deep purple I could have been super critical, like, oh, maybe I could have just brought my big amp and maybe people will have listened to me better or I could have, but like, there was no way that I could like plan for that. Uh, anticipate what happened to us on that gig. You know, it's like, yeah, um, we did it like as we normally did it and luckily it didn't work. That's the reason. It's so funny because some people don't realize and, and they, <laughs> the the writers that like uh, artists require gets get mocked by people who don't understand why they require so many things you know it's right. like when you see a writer for a FYI writer is how we call like the requirements that that you ask for a show you know and that includes sound includes uh, um the the PA and um, what's going to be on stage and also what's going to be on the green room on the, on the, you know, dressing sure. room. Yeah. And accommodations. Exactly. And people mock that because like, Oh, these big artists asking for a bottle of wine or whatever. And, and, and they don't even drink it. It's true. That's kind of like a dick move, but they do that as a precaution of, trying to be sure that like they are complying with everything that was on the contract. If you're going to sign a contract to hire a band, you have to be prepared to comply with what they require from you. Even if it's the craziest thing that you can think of. You know, it's like, I remember when, when Guns N' Roses went to play in Ecuador, everybody was mocking their uh, rider because it included like a uh, hot tub. Right. And and some stuff like that, and Axel Rose didn't even pass by the green room, right? So why would you require that? And yeah, that's a dick move to some to ask for something so big and that you have to set up and stuff like that. But promoters, well, band management normally do does that because they want to be sure that everything is on the on the on the. Um, under their control. So if Axel Rose in the middle of the show has a problem with his back, he might be able to go and just get one less excuse to not comply with the big contract. You know, it's like you don't necessarily have to do uh, like to to think that they are going to use everything. There's a great story of the, about that with the I don't know if you have you ever heard like the 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 brown M&M story? Sure. You know, it's like everybody it's super famous this story of Van Halen in the early day years because they will ask for a bowl of M&M's uh, chocolate on their dressing room and they had only one little extra line that there was no brown M&M's allowed on the bowl. <laughs> you know, it's like, so everybody will freak out about that request because they think like, okay, M&M's, it doesn't matter if they are yellow, green, or blue. They taste exactly the same. Why is this thing of no brown elements, uh, M&Ms? So later they explained why. And it was because of that. They said yeah. like, we included that 
on the requirement because we want to be sure that the promoter or whoever hired us read the whole contract and not decided to uh, like to avoid any part because maybe it could have been the brown M&Ms that he decided to just uh, just ignore but that could have happened also with an important bolt on that was holding the whole stage together you know right exactly uh, you know so it gives you yeah it definitely gives you that you know perspective that different perspective on on a request like that i you know what's interesting about the rider thing uh when i was at mi one of my teachers uh was was a head sound guy at a at a big venue um near la and i i didn't know this before but he said he we were talking about riders and he was like you know riders aren't requirements like you can you can like it's a request and yeah. You can talk, you know, he'll get weird requests for riders and just be like, no, we're not going to do that. But beforehand, you know, not exactly the night exactly. of the show, but but beforehand, you know, he might be like, yeah, we can't do that. We can't do that. And then they can decide if they want to exactly. play the show and they can have a negotiation. Mm -hmm. But what was really funny uh, during that conversation, we realized because he, he was like, oh, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I work at this venue. And I was like, oh, I, I played that venue. And he was like, "Oh, what show?" And it, and he was where he, he had. We found out he had been working the night that I had played the venue, and we were opening. I was playing with this artist, and we were opening for for this famous singer who I'm not going to name. <laughs> but I think I know which one. But like, okay, okay, yeah. So, and she, um, I, I, she, she was one of these people who had had some crazy things on her rider. And he told, and he, I didn't know that, like, this was crazy, but I didn't know this, but um, apparently on her rider, it said, for the opening acts, no reverb allowed. Like, that was, so it literally oh. was on her rider that said, opening acts are not allowed to have reverb <laughs> in their Holy sound. Shit. So we're, we're like, sound checking, and apparently, you know, he's, They're, he's mixing and stuff, and our singer asks, asks for a reverb, and he adds some. And I didn't hear this, but because he this this is all him telling me this story was just like I, he was like, "Did you hear that in your sound check when when you guys were sound checking?" And she yelled from the green room, "I said no fucking reverb," <laughs> and I was like. No, I did. I had no idea. And apparently, like somebody from her team came up and talked to him, and he was just like, "Listen, like, that's not going to work. Like this, th these guys are, you know, I mean, <laughs> they they're selling a lot of tickets to 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 do this to play. You know, this was kind of one of these venues where it was like, yeah. well, if you sell this many tickets, you can do this kind of thing. Really so it was like these guys, you know, sold a lot of tickets tonight and he wants reverb and that's not a, you know, reasonable request not to. So they they worked it out, but it was I was like, holy shit, I had no idea of, number one that somebody <laughs> would ask for that. But number two, I didn't know that riders were like just basically requests that could be negotiated as well. Yeah, yeah. They so. can they can be negotiated beforehand. Like afterwards, yeah. after you sign it, it's set on stone and you have to comply. Um, that happens a lot with, with what you just said. Like um, 
when you're opening for that's sure. again it, it connects to the story that I told with about Deep Purple. They were the nicest band I've ever had to play with on a stage because I know by fact that most bands, big bands, when you, there's an opening act, they for example say no sound check for the opening act, and even worse, not. Uh, I think it's less than 50 or 40 percent of the PA capability. Right, so half the big stage, bands half the ask sound, for right? the opening <laughs> band to sound lower. So when they come out, it sounds like a boom, you know? Right. Yeah, they don't. I, and you, you, to a certain extent, you can understand. Like you don't want to a the opening ba band to upstage the yeah. the headliner. But man, I mean. Well, then, the, then just put out a better show, you know. Like. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> if I was, for example, if I ever become a headliner, I don't know. Hopefully, yeah. um, I would not give a shit about that. Of course, I would be the one yeah. that actually says, like, okay, my requirement is full on volume for all yeah. the opening. Yeah, like because, let's let's put out I a great want, show. Like, <laughs> exactly, I want the best show possible for the audience that is paying to see me. If the opening act gives a better show than me, well, that's on me, not on on them. You know, <laughs> yeah. So it's like um, there are these things that 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 sometimes become like the competitive thing that musicians always also have. That uh, another thing to to always remember, like uh, the the competitive side has to be more with yourself than with other people. Yeah, yeah. So I've talked about like, that before for sure. Yeah, it's like we we become this like we think that we're on a marathon or some shit like that. No, this is not a sport. This is art. Even if you want to turn it into a sport, it's not. And 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 it's funny me saying that because uh, you know me as like, and a lot of people know me as like this shredder guitar player that plays fast and all that stuff. But I really don't care about that. Like, I do it because I like it. That's the way I like to play. But it's not like, oh, look, I'm gonna play faster than you right now. Um, and that's one of the greatest experiences that I've had in these 10 years in, in LA that I feel that most people that are good to play with and fun to play with and are actually playing do not care about those kind of things. They just love to play. And you see that. Um, we we had here like these ultimate jams where most of the of the the greatest musicians in the world will join to play and just play one song or something. And most of them, not all of them, but most of them, when you will go to those jams and see it, you will see like the kindest, greatest attitude from all those musicians, like just wanting to play. It was like, I just want to hang out, play and go for it. We also have that, that experience here in LA at the big potato, you know? Yeah. It's such a small venue, but still it gets always filled with the greatest musicians in the world. They just go there and play because they want to play. It's like they don't want like any egotistic thing that we sometimes think of of rock stars of or big artists. Like no. The bigger the artist, not in every occasion. This has its its exceptions, but I what I've noticed the bigger The bigger they are artists because they are good musicians, the more humble they become. Um, as I said, it does have exceptions, of course, but that's my experience. Like the ones that I've met, they are like that. Super nice people and they have no problem to talk to you about like their experiences of what they've done and 
That's great. But, yeah. The one in that's the case. Yeah. So I'm, I'm wondering, uh, I'm always interested in, in, in musicians' goal and like in your goals. Like, do you, do you have goals for your career? Do you, how do you set no. them? Or, or <laughs> no, well, that's what Andrew said. Our, our good friend Andrew Moore was just like, yeah, I don't, I don't really do that. <laughs> um, why am I not surprised that Andrew I, will say something like that? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I'm just super curious if, if you, if you keep certain goals in mind or, or is that not something that you yeah. are conscious of? Uh, I think I think I think the goal part relates to to looking back a little bit at your career. You know, it's like I explained to you that I came here to this town and to this country because I'm not American because uh, of opportunities, not because of money, not because of fame. You know, it's like there's a difference between the two things, in my opinion. Like uh, when you're only obsessed with money and fame, you're already like aiming for failure but like my expectations are much more related to opportunities to have different experiences luckily that's the part that i cannot complain about the last 10 years of me here i have had like so many amazing uh, experiences like not all related to playing sometimes sometimes related right. to recording or to rehearsals or to writing or to where your song ended up sounding or 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 what you were able to do with a song, uh, those type of things. Playing Mario said, Kart, yeah. play, winning, uh, beating you at Mario Kart. That's a good one. <laughs> well, that's, that's a rarity, <laughs> but uh, it, it does, does happen. happen. Yeah. It does happen. <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, that happened the last time that we played. <laughs> I think it did. I think it did. <laughs> okay, so yeah, it's like um, it's this thing. So yeah, my goals for now is like. I, I decided to start having like like more like short term goals like yeah. more focused short term goals like for me my main goal right now is my for the first time ever in my life I decided to do something under my name I've never done that never yeah. ever ever like I always I even had I had like this type of project before like of of instrumental guitar just like the power trio type of thing but I never used my name not even when like before coming here I recorded I paid I hired musicians to play with me like I did everything still didn't put my name in it I invented I, I had a band name and I use that band name. So for the first time, I'm doing something under my name. And and that is scary. But at the same time, I think interesting and 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 like exciting. Yeah. Uh so so my first little short-term goal is the release of my first own record. That is, I am so grateful for 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 the how how it worked out because not in my greatest dreams I would have ever thought that um, it, on my first album I could feature some of the greatest musicians that I've worked or met in my life you know it's like uh, that includes you and my uh, <laughs> and Jonas uh, who was also part of this uh, podcast um, but on the top of that I have another friend of mine um, from Ecuador that also recorded like some bass tracks he did an amazing job um, 
the the keyboard player that helped me with some of the of the of the songs is one of the greatest musicians that I've worked with. Extremely professional, also from Ecuador. He helped me so much, like on the on the keyboard production, that because I wanted that like the pads and the and the little orchestration that keyboards can give you. And on the top of all that of working with these great musicians, I always was able to to work with famous musicians. Like um, famous, not necessarily mean greater or anything. It's just like they had a little bit more experience. Like I, as I mentioned before, Philip Bino, bass player from for the Steve Vai band, who also played with I think Drama Gods for with Nuno Betancourt and uh, some other projects, and who's amazing. I consider him a friend. And and as the earlier story was tall, like I met him at uh, LACM. Totally. I also feature uh, was able to feature Derek Sherinian, the keyboard player for Dream Theater, on one of the songs. Derek also worked with um, with Alice Cooper, Ingvin Malmsteen, Eddie Van Halen. Like it's one of those keyboard players that he gets called by everybody, and it's featured in tons of amazing records. So to be able to feature him uh, with a keyboard solo on one of the songs was like a dream come true for me, uh, especially being like such a big Dream Theater fan. Um, it also features one of the most legendary guitar players, like ro pop rock legendary guitar players from South America. His name is Felipe Staiti from the band Enanitos Verdes. He also was kind enough to record the solo on one of the songs. It features Simon Thorell, who's a, fr a common friend of us from Sweden, a great, amazing guitar player who yeah. killed it on, on, on the solo that he recorded. Um, John Holt, Shredder Machine from Sweden too, that I met at, at Lama. So there's so many people involved that it really gets me excited. So like my my short-term goal will be like just to release it and hope for the best for, with it. Like I don't want to do this the typical uh process that is becoming kind of like common right now that you just upload it to Spotify and maybe like, okay, I hope you guys enjoy it. I don't want to do that. I actually am thinking of not uploading to Spotify for a while any of the songs and just try to go directly to the Bandcamp uh, yeah. approach. So it will be like a direct sale. Like um, I'm going to put all the songs on YouTube if you want to listen to them and just get a taste of that. But if you want to support, like there's a huge effort behind it. I had to invest some money and like put a lot and a lot of hours to record that. Yeah. Um. That that I I I hope that I can get something back, and not just for because of the monetary. Because I think that when you when people recognize that music has a value monetarily wise, like money wise, they appreciate it more. We have to be careful right now. Like I I do feel like the the string platforms are devaluating the value of music. Music is becoming this free thing that is always there that we can just say, hey, Alexa, play this song. And there you go. You have it. Yeah. It should not be like that. There's a huge effort behind every single project, every single note that you hear it, even from the investments in, 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 in instruments and, and learning the craft to be able to play or to be able to, to record yourself. It should not be given for granted. Like um, so, that's that's the thing. Like, I don't know. Maybe I will sell two uh, records, you know. But yeah. I don't care. 
it's not that what I care. I care about the release. I care about the experience. I care about having something under my name right now. So that's that's the main short-term goal. And that's why I'm still here. I want to see what happens if I release it, being me being here and not yet back. If that is the case that I have to go back. Because as you talked in other... Um, in a couple of other podcasts, like I am, uh, I'm on a visa here, so I, I have this uh, alien of extraordinary abilities, which I, I don't know if I believe that because, but but I, I was true. glad enough to be recognized as one of those, so that allowed me to stay longer here, and I don't know, just in the same way that I ended up coming here, I I still have to see where everything is going. Without, I, I some years ago I, I I noticed that I had to leave that thing like oh I have to do this or else I'm a failure because that type of mentality was really destroying my mind. Right. It's yeah. Toxic. It's toxic. It's really toxic. It's like you can enjoy playing and the like. The LA moments are keep are gonna keep coming. And I still see them from time to time, but uh, I don't have to look for them because I remember one thing. When I was not obsessed with that, that's when I had all those great experiences. Yeah. When I'm obsessed with that, when I'm obsessed with like, oh no, I have to go out and find the opportunity to play with like, I don't know, Slash. Nothing happened. You know, it's like if I just play and have fun and try to do focus on my own stuff and focus on what I have to do for myself, it's much more probable that an opportunity like that might arise and might uh, appear. That's what I, at least I believe. And that's yeah. my experience uh, living here in LA. Yeah, that's good food yeah. for thought. Well, I'm, I'm really excited for the release too. Yeah. Uh, loved everything I've heard so far and and uh, definitely, we'll promote it. Yeah, uh, yeah, when, yeah. When that like, comes I'm, out. I'm really excited, and I, and I hope that uh, if people want to want to be more in touch, you can always contact me on social networks, like um, for sure. Instagram. My my Instagram is Andres A N D R E S Y E P E Z E C. Uh that's my my instagram and you can find me with the same one on twitter or you can add me on facebook i have no problem i do get like contact like uh, sometimes from people actually from all around latin america asking me about my experience here in la sometimes i'm like uh i remember i had like a couple of people from guatemala once like saying like hey i i know that you live in la and they didn't know anybody that uh, they were not like sadler's friend or something they were like just Random people from Guatemala who found yeah. my 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 profile. I was like, ah, well, I said I know that you're a musician and you live in LA. I was wondering if you can tell me a little bit about your experience. I was like, yeah, of course. That's <laughs> cool. Yeah. yeah, it's like, and I always try to be honest. Don't ever think that it's gonna be what the movies <laughs> and the TV shows paint that it is. Right. You know, that's the, the LA thing that you have to always be careful because we tend to think like that LA is this keeping up with the Kardashians type of reality. Sure. And it's really, really far away once you live here. 
For most of us, yeah. Yeah, for most <laughs> of us, unless you you are one of the Kardashians, <laughs> probably yeah. for them it is like that. <laughs> right, right. Well, what else, dude? This has been awesome. What, um, what else are you listening? Are you listening to anything? Uh, anything new? Anything um, that's inspiring you these days? I can tell you what was the last album that I was playing on my car. <laughs> sure, it was a Sarah McLachlan. Uh, fumbling toward ecstasy. <laughs> okay. Is that's, that the one that's set with the sad song that's playing on the dog commercials? Yes. Uh, with I will remember you. No, yeah. I don't think that song <laughs> is there. No, it's the it's the other one with a lot of other sad songs. But uh, okay. I I just love the way that she sings. It's it's so funny because being like this like shredder guitar player, everybody thinks like of course I like that type of music and I listen to it a lot. But I love like basically every type of music like i yeah. even love playing right now as i was telling you I, i'm playing like with a cover band and we play like dance stuff and latin stuff and like whatever they ask us even some stuff that i have absolutely no idea how it is supposed to be played like uh original mexican music yeah you know? i'm not mexican so I, I have no idea i wasn't I, I did not grow up listening to that stuff. And sometimes I, I get called for on the spot. Hey, can you play this song? And somebody in the band says, like, I know it. I know it. Everybody's like, I know it. I know it. I'm the only one that is like, um, I'll I've follow there. you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? I've been there many times. <laughs> yeah. So so I listen to almost every every style of music. But if I can do a, a have like a recommendation of something new that maybe some people want to. I was super impressed. By the work of um of the son of Eddie Van Halen, I don't know if you've heard that his his music already. He he put together like a project. It's so funny because we were talking about naming something under your name, but he decided to do the other approach, of course, because he has the Van Halen name under his belt. Yeah. So his name is Wolfgang Van Halen. You know, right. like um, and he decided to use the original Van Halen band's name for his band and it's called mammoth uh wbh that's the name of his band and he so far has released like four or five songs and the first song that he released is a tribute to his dad that is called distance it's such a good song such a moving song like um you can hear the pain that he was going through with his dad's sickness and all that and the greatest thing about the, the music is that it's all him. He played all the instruments and it oh, sounds wow. freaking killer. Like he played bass, guitar, sing, sang, and, and drums. The only thing that he didn't do for the album was producing. But if you look for it, Mom, uh, Mammoth, um, WBH, just check out like uh, Distance is beautiful beautiful song but like the rocking the more rocking songs it's the most 90s like grunge thing that i've ever heard like in a while like not that i've ever heard sorry <laughs> that i've heard in a while like of course in the 90s they were like more into <laughs> that like but but it's been a while that i actually listened to a song uh, or an artist that has that power and that raw that we appreciate so much from the bands from the 90s you know it's like when you think about the smashing pumpkins or pearl jam or nirvana or uh collective soul or live or all this there was this rawness on their like their music that i learned to appreciate like crazy i yeah. love the bands from the 90s like 
it, and it doesn't necessarily have to be grunge, you know, like Tool wasn't grunge. And I love Tool, another band from the 90s or, or Korn, another band from the 90s. Um, uh, if you check uh, Wolfgang's music, I think you're going to find that rawness in, and it's super cool, super, super cool. Um, awesome. Great music. I'm really excited for his album release and I hope to check it out. Um, so, yeah. All awesome. that from them. Um, I still don't have that album because it hasn't been released. But yeah, it's like um, that's what I've been listening. Plus uh, the, the the common stuff too, like the guitar stuff that I like, like the Dream Theater and and John Petrucci and all that stuff. I still listen to it and I super enjoy. But going in my car is like that. It's like I have six CDs <laughs> that I can put in my car, <laughs> and one can be Shakira and the other one can be Pantera. Sure. And that's what I like. <laughs> I like I, that too, yeah. you know, variety. Just yeah, good, yeah. Good. It's like, I always felt like getting stuck with just like one style of music is like almost saying like I only like one type of food. Right. You have to experience more and you have to be open to 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 taste more stuff because you might find that there's a lot of great stuff. You can still like something more than than other stuff but everything is is really like worth listening even the shittiest music that you can label <laughs> like that maybe you can find something to appreciate out of that and i try right. to do that even like with the worst like that right now it's becoming a little bit like common like this super out of tune overproduced things that are only like you can see it's so plastic that it's Hard to listen. Even to that, I try to listen to, okay, I'm going to focus on the chord progression <laughs> or yeah. the composition or what the melody does just to see if I can enjoy something because I like to do that. I like to be open for, for, for style of music. No, that's and, great. That's great. Well, that's dude, it. thank you so much for your time. This was this was really fun. I'm, I'm glad I got to hear some new stories from you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there are tons more, but like uh, we, we will have. I to. know you do. I, yeah, yeah you have to come like, back on sometime. Yeah, it's all good. No, it has been my pleasure. I actually enjoyed, and as I said at the at the beginning of the of the episode, I think it's a great idea. There's no one better to tell a good story than than those who are living it up every single day. You know, it's like, and that's. Yeah our experience we can some other day also talk about like recording experiences because those are completely yep. different and yeah. songwriting experiences completely different and you asked me for one last advice here's my greatest advice that i can give to anybody who wants to do music learn to do one more more than one skill as nice. many skills that you can develop related to music the best that's 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 my only advice. Like, see, so if you're a guitar player, learn to record guitar, learn to produce guitar, learn to write songs, learn to use that ability to write for for movies if you can. Then also learn other instruments. Like, the more that you know, the more capabilities are going to appear for you to actually make a living on this. Music probably is one of the hardest careers to actually make a living in but you improve your chances considerably if you learn more than just one skill and you know that by a fact 
that's why you're the host of the podcast if, yeah <laughs> um, I definitely uh, adhere to that and, and and second that trying to yeah there's yeah you said it best yeah I, I got nothing to add to that yeah just, <laughs> just, <laughs> okay. yeah yeah yeah. But dude, start your own podcast, people. <laughs> yeah, well, just yeah, just try to yeah, just try to try to find different ways to make yourself valuable and to to allow yourself to like find different revenue streams or yeah. just ways to to get get out there, get in front of people. So yeah, and uh, always do that while being nice. Be <laughs> nice. Be excellent to each other. And party on, dude. And party on, dude. That's a yeah. good way to end it. <laughs> awesome, man. Thanks for your time. My pleasure. Later.